Captain Kirk. Fascinating. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, eminarians, chickens and things, to episode 22 of the Muppet Trek Podcast. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve. We, as always, are here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And Jarman, what are those? Oh, those are the Muppets and Star Trek. And we do... That's right. That's right. We do one-to-one reviews of the Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And this week, we have a doozy with special Muppet Show guest Ethel Merman and the original series episode Space Seed. Things you always thought would go together, right? That's right. Camper <laughs> and jelly. But before we get that, uh, Jarman, do we have any feedback? We sure do. Uh, from So last week we did uh, Bruce Forsyth was the guest in the Muppet Show. And yes. there's a little drama in the Twitter sphere because uh, Steve and I didn't know much about Bruce Forsyth. I just knew him from an episode of a show that was on recently. After he's already been dead, they mentioned him. Uh, but anyways, so apparently he's a huge icon in British culture. Um, right. And so we have Dan Hitch on Twitter saying um, after us, you know, pandering to the British community on our last episode, Just uh, a little. He, he said this Brit will gladly take your pandering on uh, his transporter malfunction for that episode would be, um, although not in the Muppet episode, Brucey appears as Landrew when all the calm townsfolk greet the crew. It's with his catchphrase. Nice to see you to see you. I guess that's his catchphrase. I don't know. I'm sorry, Dan Hitch. <laughs> and they wow. all chant nice in unison. Hashtag Sir Bruce Forsyth. <laughs> so an in, in joke for you British listeners that Steve and I do not understand. <laughs> no, not at all. I'll have to get a clip of him saying his catchphrase. Nice to see you to see you because I don't know how that works. All right. See if you can find it. I will. <laughs> so, Steve, tell us about this week's guest star, Ethel Merman. Well, Ethel Merman, often referred to as the undisputed first lady of the musical comedy stage, she started her early career performing as a dancer and singer in private clubs, moving later to movies and television. She's a Tony, Golden Globe, and Grammy Award winner, and she was just a powerhouse. Mm-hmm. What does our generation know her from? Besides a small role in Airplane uh, and not much else, as her most recent credit before her death was a reoccurring character on The Love Boat. <laughs> Gotcha. Um, I love that scene of her in Airplane, by the way. You'll be swell. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) It is iconic. Yeah. Uh, Ethel played a Batman villain named Lola Lasagna in the 1960s live action Batman. That's amazing. And apparently was associated with Penguin in some way. Uh Uh-huh. Lasagna. (laughs) Let's see what Lola Lasagna did on this week's episode of The Muppet Show. (laughs) Yes, Yes, let's do it. On stage this week, Piggy tells Kermit that she wants to do a bunch of Ethel Merman songs. Kermit asks why she would sing them if Ethel Merman was there to actually do them. Uh, He then introduces a strange sketch called Java, where two colorful slinkies with eyeballs try to dance next to each other, ending with the smaller one blowing the big one away, literally. Uh, Next up, we have a medley of songs with Ethel Merman featuring various Muppets. The lineup includes... uh, you're on top friendship to lovely together, wherever we go, you're just in love. Anything you can do in a mutual admiration society. Whew. <laughs> we get a quick backstage bit. Ethel is upset that there's a mouse in her dressing room. Turns out that there was, uh, that's where the mouse changes. Ethel says the show is a zoo animal appears and gives her guff. So she clocks him right in the head. <laughs> 
Uh, next up, uh, we venture into the balcony where Stadler and Waldorf are having a cup of tea and a mouse appears in the teacup and sings a song, Don't Sugar Me. Very weird. It's a weird one. It it's was a weird one. After this, we get to the talk spot. Ethel downplays her Broadway fame and Piggy comes in to get lessons from Ethel. Ethel at the end hits a high note and breaks a glass, but there's no way it's possibly real. <laughs> uh, up next is a venture into experimental shadow puppetry performed by a guy named Richard Bradshaw. The shadows uh, feature an ostrich, a mouse, and a hippo all crossing various ladders and platforms, and all of them collapse under the way of the hippo. I liked it. It was cute. It was cute. Uh, Fozzie comes out to do his act, getting heckled more than usual, even. Fozzie challenges the audience, saying that they should only stay if they're real Fozzie Bear fans, and everybody leaves. <laughs> All right, backstage drama this week features uh, Fozzie's agent is coming to negotiate his contract or the fact that he doesn't actually have one. His, his agent eventually arrives to reveal that he is so short that he just appears as a top hat on top of a pair of nice, brown, uh, nice shiny shoes. <laughs> and after a series of short jokes, him and Kermit cannot come to an agreement. Miss Picky later meets him backstage. His name is uh, Irving Bazaar, uh, and he wants to handle her, but not be her angel. He just wants to touch her body, and she is outraged <laughs> and hits the crap out of him. Like everyone else. After Fozzie's walkout performance where the audience left, Kermit finally agrees to pay Fozzie 10 times what he's paying now, which it turns out he doesn't make anything now, so he's not going to make anything, but he thinks he gets a good deal. <laughs> Uh, Ethel Merman, Merman comforts Fozzie backstage, reminiscing about the joys of show business with a downplayed version of there's no business like show business. Uh, this number then goes up tempo and spills out onto the stage, becoming the closing musical act. Mm -hmm. At closing curtain, Piggy brings Ethel roses. She is hesitant to accept them due to the uh, shenanigans on the show thus far. And that is what you call the Muppet Show this week. But they're real flowers. There. Uh, I've got some great music stuff this week. Java, a uh, song by a guy named Al Tucson, influential musician, songwriter, and producer, huge in New Orleans music scene, and was the producer on Lady Marmalot mm. by Lala Bell. The <laughs> uh, medley features songs by Cole Porter, June Stein, Irving Berlin. The final song, Mutual Admiration Society, with music by Harold Carr um, from the musical Happy Hunting which I'd never heard of Me either uh, <clears throat> factoid here after Ethel Merman married her third husband, a man named Robert six, who was an executive for continental airlines. She wanted to retire and just be done. She'd already had a crazy vast musical career and her husband did not like this because he had planned to marry her to bring a bunch of free publicity to the airline. So he was like, Hey, you got to go do this show. Happy hunting. <laughs> so she begrudgingly went and did it. She disliked the show, clashed with her co-stars, and uh, one co-star named Fernando Lamas was apparently known for being extremely well-endowed, <laughs> and he worked with the costumer to tighten his pants in the crotch for opening night, and apparently on opening night in the reviews, it drew gasps from the crowd, <laughs> and Ethel refused to continue performances after that night until the costume was altered. That's hilarious. And yeah. random. Uh, Don't Sugar Me, lyrics by a gentleman by the name of Walt Kelly, who worked in the early days of Disney. He was a contributor and animator for both for uh, Pinocchio, Dumbo, and Fantasia. Hmm. Uh, There's No Business Like Show Business by Irving Berlin from Andy Get Your Gun. A fun Irving Berlin fact. Most people think he's German, but he's actually Russian. Uh, 
He was originally named Israel Isidore Berlin, but he took Irving Berlin as a pen name and officially changed it in 1911 because it resembled his birth name and it sounded less ethnic. Ah. So, Jarman, what did you think of this week's episode of The Muppet Show featuring Ethel Merman? Uh, I was excited to get to this one because I knew about the mystique around Ethel Merman and her legendary status of Broadway. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it'd be she'd probably be a good fit for The Muppet Show from what I'd seen so far. And I was not disappointed. Um, overall fun episode. I think she was she responded to The Muppets very well. Like she interacted with them like it was nothing. It was very natural to her because she's probably done so much random stuff like that on stage in the past. Um, she didn't seem to feel uncomfortable at all with them, which is like becoming my biggest litmus test of how well the episode's going to go is if, how can they interact with these guys? Oh um, yeah, it's all, it was all very natural. Yeah, exactly. And she's, they featured her very well doing what she does best. Um, her big singing and musical numbers and singing so many different songs. It's kind of squeezed a lot into one episode with her so much so that they didn't have a lot of the regular segments. Which I was they kind of, really didn't. Yeah, I was kind of missing that a little bit, but at the same time, I, I didn't miss them so much that the episode suffered for it. Um, and I like the guest puppeteer thing. I like the idea of guesting other puppeteers and stuff. And it's you know it was it was it went on for a little bit, but it was it was cute. It was yeah, well it done. Went on for a little bit. Yeah, and you kind of knew where it was um, going. I agree. This is sort of towards the upper middle for me. Ethel is just a great. I mean, she's been performing for you know thirty forty years by the point she did this. Right. She is comfortable with anything. She can do whatever. Yeah, it just doesn't matter. Not even phased. Her numbers are great, and she's got good touching moments. Like with Fozzie, that was nice. Yeah, and the competition between her and uh, Miss Piggy it made sense. Like That's what you would hope for in this kind of episode. Right. So it made a lot of sense. It worked out really well. I said the same thing, upper middle kind of episode for me. If anything, I, I was disappointed that there wasn't more Ethel Merman. I agree that in what she was in, they featured her really well. But when you have Ethel Merman, like the queen of Broadway stage, who knows, you know, thousands and thousands of songs. And then you're like, yeah, let's put in the experimental puppet guy for four minutes. <laughs> I'm like, save that. Save that for the Connie Stevens episode. Save that for Florence okay. Henderson. <laughs> <laughs> save that for Florence Henderson. You know, give them their spot there. But like, you got Ethel Merman. What are you doing? Yeah, that's true. I mean, it was, I guess they had just fitted in where they could. <laughs> uh, Darren, what was your favorite Muppeteering moment this week? Uh, I, there wasn't something that was like outlandishly crazy, but I think um, my favorite is just the idea. When there's a ton of Muppets on stage at one time, it impresses me. So when they all come out in her dressing room scene where they're all singing the songs together, I thought that was just really right. impressive. And just thinking about how many Muppeteers were under the, underneath her at that point, all at the same time, you know, singing along and coordinating that. It's just, just really impressive. Absolutely. For me, I think it's the Java Slinkies. That's a, an act that they had done many, many times before in a lot of different shows. Know. And so they had really perfected and mastered it. And this is maybe its best, but it's a super iconic um, Muppet sketch. Yeah. And it's kind of, I was, I was kind of shocked when it turned around backwards. I'm like, how did they do that? Like, <laughs> it just like gets out of how it works. Such a cool effect. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, Jaron, tell us about this week's The Original Series episode. So this week we have a classic, uh, one that spawned two movies technically, one uh, in the original series movies and then a J.J. verse movie, Space Seed. Uh, so this is the con episode. So what we have here is the Enterprise finds the SS Botany Bay spacecraft adrift in space, and it looks very antiquated and strange. And through some research, they find out that it's over 200 years old. 
and there are faint life signs on board. So it's strange. So Kirk, Bones, Scotty, and a historian they bring aboard, um, MacGyvers, uh, beam aboard to investigate. And apparently there are 84 humans on board, but only 72 are still alive, and they're in suspended animation, and they've been that way for over 200 years. And they identify what should be the group's leader, and they revive him first, uh, when the machine starts to revive him first. And they bring him on board the Enterprise, and he's basically still unconscious. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's a gorgeous uh, brown man who's, you know, just a huge hunk, basically. Bulging chest. (laughs) Yes. Uh, The Enterprise gets the Botany Bay in a tractor beam, and they head for Starbase 12, everyone's favorite Starbase, where they can better revive the 71 other people who are on board the Botany Bay. Um, so uh, le- Starbase Nine has better Coke. Uh, that's true, but Pepsi's on Starbase Twelve, so you know that's true. It's up to that's you. True. Which I one got the name like. brand? I get it. <laughs> the, the leader awakes in, uh, in sick bay, and he attacks Bones at first. But Bones has some is, stays completely calm, and he's just like, "Well, you're gonna kill me. You might as well aim for the carotid artery." It's pretty funny. Um, so that calms down Khan, and he basically tells him that his name is Khan. Uh, so MacGyver's and the other uh, crew are brought into the sick bay to talk to him. And immediately MacGyver's, she's just smitten with Khan. She's like, oh, he's so amazing and interesting. He's from the 90s. <laughs> <You know>, so <laughs> everyone in the 90s is so cool. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so Spock eventually figures out through some more research that this is Khan Noonien Singh, who, just like the other 71 people on the Botany Bay, are the result of selective breeding during the 1990s eugenic wars. We all went through that. It was rough. Um, that were made in an attempt to create the perfect human. So these people are smarter and stronger than every average human. But it all went wrong when these superhumans became warlords and tyrants and they tried to conquer the world. And Khan himself apparently conquered over a third of the planet at one point. And somehow the crew of the Enterprise did not hear the name Khan from 200 years ago. and Like, oh, that Khan. Um, So (laughs) Khan is then placed under guard once they find out who he is. And MacGyver goes in to talk to him. And Khan basically immediately seduces her because he sees that she's uh, into him. Hold on real quick. That just That's really funny to me. You're right. <laughs> he ruled the third of the world. <laughs> It'd be like if they went and found a guy that was like Hitler. And they're like, his name's Hitler. <laughs> My name is Adolf. Don't worry. I'm you just a guy. <laughs> My ship went out to space in 1945. <laughs> I'm just a guy named Adolf. You are absolutely right. That breaks this entire concept <laughs> in the best possible way. It, oh, man. It's a Go common ahead. complaint about this episode. It's true. <laughs> I didn't think about it. It's so good. Uh, yeah. And even in a, a Next Generation episode, which we'll talk about later in the trivia, uh, Picard mentions, we don't want another Hitler or Khan on our hands. And so he's like common lexicon at that point. So somehow right. this crew <laughs> just has no idea. So you think it's the Hitler? <laughs> it's the Khan. Don't worry, I'm just Khan, not uh, the Khan you're thinking of. Uh, so, anyways, MacGyver's goes to talk to him, and he basically shows he's the ultimate toxic uh, masculinity guy. Uh, he's you know manipulating her, he's grabbing her, and she's totally down for it. Uh, she just she loves that kind of guy, I guess. Um, so he basically convinces her and forces her to say, you're going to help me take over the enterprise so I can keep going and, and conquer the universe basically. Um, so they revive his crew in secret on the botany Bay and they take over the enterprise with pretty much no problem. Cause Khan had read all the technical manuals of the enterprise within that small amount of time. Cause he's super smart. Uh, so it takes over the enterprise. He, he captures Kirk and throws him in a decompression chamber and he tells the rest of the crew that they either follow him or he's going to kill them one by one, starting with their captain. 
Um, so hearing this, MacGyver's has a change of heart and she secretly goes to free Kirk. And Kirk and Spock then vent gas throughout the whole ship to knock out everyone. But Khan escapes to engineering. So he attempts to destroy the Enterprise from there. But Kirk fights him and somehow wins, even though Khan is five times stronger and smarter than him. Um, so Kirk holds a hearing to decide the fate of Khan and his people and also MacGyver's who had betrayed them. And he decides for some reason to not punish them or keep them hidden away because they're so dangerous, but to ex exile them to a harsh planet called SETI Alpha five. Uh, and Khan accepts this very generous offer, <laughs> of course. And Kirk also allows MacGyver's to go with them because she's, you know, smitten with Khan, even though she betrayed him. Uh, so Spock muses that it'll be interesting to see what these superhumans make of that harsh planet in a hundred years time, which is a cool thing because we eventually get the movie. Um, yeah, the wrath of Khan. So some trivia about this episode. There wasn't a lot of, that wasn't just minutia surprisingly uh, for trivia in this yeah, episode. Uh, but in the original story, Khan's ship was just one of many, uh, deportations of war criminals in earth's history. And this explains the ship's name botany Bay, which was the site of a real penal colony in, uh, uh, near modern Sydney, Australia. So back in the day, the penal colony was called um, Botany Bay that, that the British people sent off to Australia, all their criminals. Um, and Star Trek Next Generation, A Matter of Time, that's where John Luke Picard discusses we don't want the next Adolf Hitler or Khan Singh. Um, so Khan and Hitler have very similar reputations, but yet somehow they don't know who he was. <laughs> the Hitler? <laughs> <laughs> So, Steve, uh, what did you think of this episode bef before you <laughs> we broke it with that comment? Uh, okay, so things I liked. <laughs> I like that Kirk just gets outmatched. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, anytime Kirk is just such the alpha dog, that anytime he gets put in his place a little bit, you get a little bit of satisfaction out of it. Yeah. You still want him to win because you know he's the good guy, but you like seeing him get kicked around a little bit. Especially that scene where that the the, uh, the dinner they're having. And he's like, oh, I see what you're doing, Kirk. You're having your number one uh, be the mean one, so you can sit back and just watch me for weakness. I see what you're doing. <laughs> it was very smart, like subtle. You know, it was cool that they were fighting back and, and forth. I always love it when shows from the past reference times in the future that are also now in the past. <laughs> I just get a big kick out of that, like the eugenics were of the 1990s. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, I give a kick out of that. Things I disliked. Um, that the, the female crew member was overtaken by Khan's masculinity. It just felt really flimsy. And it, I think it reflected poor, like as soon as I was like, no women were consulted on this script. No, <laughs> um, but actually there was like, apparently a cut scene uh, with her friend where she's this other crewman is also trying to hit on her and say, do you want to go dinner with me? And she turns him down. And when her friend asks why she turned him down, she says, um, MacGyver says, I want a man who just who takes charge and, and will take me to dinner, not, not ask me like a little sheep or something like that. And so basically right. it establishes that she wants an overbearing man in her life, which is terrible. But okay. yeah, that scene would have kind of more explained why she's so easily overtaken by this guy. Uh, for Khan being so cold and calculating, it didn't take a lot of prodding for him to like go to outburst mode and go like, we tried to help the world. <laughs> so that big reveal moment. I was like, oh, okay. Just gave it away, huh? <laughs> That's true. Um, and the entire thing begins and all hinges on Khan overpowering a door. <laughs> That's how he escapes. Nothing yes. else would have worked if he had not been able to just open a door with his bare hands. He had to channel his chi powers first. 
Um, they didn't even try to hide that Shatner didn't do the main fight with Khan. Yeah, those were very blatant stuntmen. <laughs> right. Like they had the they at least had the good fortune to give us Khan's back most of the time, but they showed the other guy like full on for a whole, for like 10 seconds at a time. It was crazy. It's also a lot more clear in these remastered versions. Like you can see everything. <laughs> um and then sort of my general over and this is as I'm taking in more Trek in general. Mhm. Um, this episode for me, I know it's iconic. It's kind of unremarkable. Huh. I felt like Khan was not that good of a villain because you're right. He went out like a punk, like Shatner was getting his ass kicked to him. And then he just got a piece of pipe and hit him with it. And that was it. That's how he, that's how he got Khan. That's my biggest complaint about this episode. It always has been is that it's just that last fight kind of ruins things for me because otherwise the acting was wonderful. I was, he's menacing. He's charming. He's uh, manipulative. He's interesting. And then. We build up the fact that he's 10 times stronger or five times stronger. And then mm-hmm. he's just taken out with a pipe. You know, it's like, <laughs> just, it's not very, it's also like, because it's kind of unremarkable. Yeah. Considering how much mythos is built up around Khan and I lackluster villain at best. And now that I've got more context, I think into darkness is that much more disappointing. Mm. Cause there, cause we talked about this when we talked about it into darkness way back in our old show, because Within the darkness, they could have taken instead of taking Khan and redoing Khan again, where they had already taken Khan, dusted him off for the movie in Star Trek Two. They could have taken any other villain from the original Star Trek mm-hmm. and updated it and learned that lesson and given us a god. Who knows? There's been so many good villains so far that I would have preferred above Khan. Yeah, Trelane. <laughs> yeah, Char- Trelane. Charlie X. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, any of the like godlike kind of alien characters. Or what would have been really cool people have said for the, the new movie is that they could have woken up anyone else on that ship. And so they could have been a whole new actor, different name, and no one would be comparing him to Khan, but he could have been like what, also another um, advanced human with that same, you know, conquering mindset. And that still would have been just as dangerous and interesting, you know? but they just decide to go with a white guy to play Khan Noonien Singh for some reason. <laughs> yes. The whitest, most British of guys. <laughs> yeah. So he's not very big dude. He's not very imposing. It was just a terrible well, casting choice. Kind of like a lizard. Well, like, more like an otter. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I think that this is actually sort of middle low for me. Honestly, right. there have been so many more. I've liked more than this. I put middle high for me just because I think, the interactions between Kirk and Khan are amazing. And I think just Ricardo Montalban like brings us to the, to the top of the episode for me, but yeah, <laughs> more like upper middle, but yeah, not one of the best because there's just a lot of holes and a lot of things they could have done a lot better. And that pipe, man pipe. <laughs> well, I got some Trek connections to go with this episode. Beautiful. Uh, in 2018 on Twitter through a conversation, I can't figure it out because I can't really figure out how Twitter works. William Shatner brought up the fact that Ethel Merman had a disco Christmas album. (laughs) Okay. And it started a flurry of popularity in this like explosion of people realizing that Ethel Merman's disco album exists. That's amazing. Uh, And just recently at the Leonard Nimoy Thalia theater in New York, because of coronavirus, uh, they had to cancel an upcoming concert called project Broadway Merman and Porter and Berlin a musical review featuring the music of Cole Porter and Irving Berlin as made famous by Ethel Merman. Wow. That is quite a connection. Leonard Nimoy theater. Bam. (laughs) 
Well, some similarities these this week. Uh, in the slinky number, the smaller and more inferior dancer is able to take out the larger and better dancer, just like how Kirk is able to take down the superior con. I have something similar. Both feature two sides battling one end or estimating the other. Oh, the, uh, the big, oh. the big Java and the little Java. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, Picky and Merman sing anything you can do, I can do better. Just like Khan thinks anything Kirk can do, he can do better. Oh. Yeah. Both feature relics of an age past. Khan and Ethel Merman. <laughs> That's true. Relics of an age past. I'm sure she would have loved you describing her that way. Oh man. Oh God. What's that noise? Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. All right, so this is uh, where the part of the show where we take one character from one episode and transport them to the other episode and see if anything anybody notices. Um, so what do you got for this this week, Steve? I would love to see Connor placed with Irving Bazaar, Fozzie's short little uh, agent. <laughs> just nice. an overconfident and, and really fancy pair of shoes wearing a top hat taking over the whole ship. <laughs> With a whole army of other fancy shoes wearing various other hats. Bowler hats, you know. Right, right. I think it'd be a great episode. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, I definitely want Ethel Merman to transfer over to be Khan, because she just sings all her witty lines and uses her voice as a genetically engineered sonic attack. I think it would work very well. <laughs> Fair. Uh, I had Marla coming over to replace Miss Mousy in the teacup asking for them to fawn over her and then becoming randomly afraid and then lashing out emotionally. Is that MacGyver's Marla? I thought, yeah, I thought that was the name I could find credited in IMDb. Oh, probably Marla MacGyver's. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird name. MacGyver's, right? Yeah. No, Mar- MacGyver's. MacGruber. <laughs> MacGruber. Uh, and it's not original because I just swapped the other way around, but I want Khan to take Ethel Merman's place because Ricardo Montalban <laughs> is a multi-talented man, and he could do the song and dance numbers. Um, in fact, I'm surprised he, he wasn't a host of the Muppet, Muppet Show. show. So easy. Was he a host of the Muppet Show ever? No, I don't think so. Oh, he would have been great fit for the time period, too. It would have been great. I'm just uh, thinking of him as Khan. But yes, him as Khan. Is, <laughs> I will sing the whole songs. episode is him slowly <laughs> taking over the show from Kermit. Anything you can do, I can do better. And, until at the end, he realizes that he doesn't want to do that job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't even want this show anyways. So uh, that brings us to the end of episode 22 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for episode 23 of the Muppet Show with special guest Connie Stevens. And original series episode, A Taste of Armageddon. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. <laughs>